Hello, this is Pod Pod. I'm Rihanna Dillon, and we are going to be joined this week by Ant Smith, who has the fantastic job of being head of trailers for Diary of a CEO, or DOAC, which we might call it now and again, which is something that I suppose we never really thought of as a job in podcasting because trailers seem to be such a visual medium. So we'll be delving into how on earth he got there. But before that, I am joined by regular contributors, Reem Makari and Adam Shepard. Hi, both. Hello. Hi, how's it going? Yeah, not bad. Nice to see you in person. I know, we're all recording in the same room. It's just very exciting. Yay. It's weirdly quite a quiet week in terms of podcasting. People like to bank their episodes and then go away. There's not a huge amount going on. But there has been some news about drunk women solving crimes because we've interviewed them Mm -hmm. and now they've got their own TV show coming. Yeah. Tell us about this. They're working with an independent production company to create the TV adaptation and it's going to be the same format of their show except they won't be the ones hosting it. So apparently it's because... TV likes high-profile celebrities more. No, you surprise me. Oh, my God, pick me up off the floor. (laughs) They're replacing them. But they are still going to be involved in the project. They're going to be working as executive producers. They're going to be seeing through the whole thing. But unfortunately, it won't be them. And I don't know how fans would feel about that. And it is a bit disappointing that they would favor celebrities over the original co-hosts who've spent so many years creating this amazing show. Disappointing, but not really a surprise, Adam. Mm. I mean, it is a little bit of a surprise for me. With a podcast, the appeal of it is so tied into the chemistry of the hosts and the relationship that they have and that they've built up over the course of of the show's run. And replicating that with an all-new batch of people for TV just seems like a bit of a waste of such well-established chemistry and I think it'll be interesting because they've signed an agreement to develop the sort of concept for this new TV version they haven't sold the result to any networks or streamers as of yet that'll be the next stage so it'll be interesting to see how far the TV adaptation gets because I think for me that'll be quite indicative of whether or not the format of a podcast alone is enough to sell uh, a TV version. I think TV execs especially are always looking for bigger and bigger figures. They like podcast figures don't necessarily translate in TV terms and so there always seems to have to be quite a lot of compromise or give and take with the format or the presenters. And we've seen quite a lot of fiction podcasts get made into shows, mm. but it's still fairly unusual for this sort of chat discussion format to get made. And we've had uh, no such thing as a fish got turned into no such thing as the news. Mm. And that, briefly. Exactly. <laughs> briefly is exactly the words. And that was with the original hosts mm. of a very successful podcast. So I wonder actually if it is that sort of, you know, flash in a pan of, oh, let's try and build on a podcast success. I wonder how easy that will be to translate onto TV. But also just because you mentioned fiction podcasts, I'm kind of curious if Boom would end up replacing the original actors of the podcast show with celebrities for the TV adaptation Mm. or to like more well-known voice Mm -hmm. actors. Because we kind of feel weird to see the original cast replaced, but I wouldn't be surprised either. 
Well, Dolores Roach, that which was a podcast, fiction podcast, which then got, got turned into a, uh, a TV show, I think on Prime. They kept, I think, some of the cast, mm. but actually did replace the main actor. So, yes, yeah, you're right. But also when like true crime often gets turned into stories, right? Yeah, I mean, Dirty John and Dr. Death, I believe, have both been adapted for tv mm-hmm. and the shrink next door yes exactly also the one that was on uh, this american life which is not true crime it's just a really lovely story the farewell which aquafina starred in which was about a woman and her family thinking that their grandmother was going to die and it is a, is a really endearing very sweet story which then got turned into a very successful film so we have seen that work incredibly well but yeah i don't have a huge amount of faith in tv productions who might not carry the ethos through of a podcast to the screen mm. Well, we are about to be joined by Ant Smith, who is, he takes all of the incredible bits of interviews that are done by Stephen Bartlett in Diary of a CEO. And he makes them into these incredible, huge, very like American style seeming trailers. So if you haven't seen them, maybe go and have a look at a couple before we get stuck into this interview, because you're going to want to know what he's talking about. But here we go. Ant Smith talking to me and Adam. Ant, thank you so much for talking to us. How are you doing? I'm very well. How are you guys? Good. We're very good. We've been looking forward to this for a while because this is a slightly different slant on what we often talk about in terms of podcasting. So you work for one of the biggest podcasts. Everyone has heard of Diary of a CEO. Yes. So I'm head of trailers of the Diary of a CEO. So my role is essentially to create the trailer per episode. So two trailers every week, that's going to entice everyone to come in, watch a full episode leave them with a bit of suspense, leave them with a bit of an emotional journey and hopefully leave them with that desire to want to find out more. When you say trailers, I think it's fair to say most people in the podcast world would think of trailers as a kind of audio format, but these are primarily video-based, right? Yeah. I mean, obviously we make them to work for audio, for Spotify, etc. but a big part of our podcast is YouTube. And obviously, Steve's social is a big platform that we use to bring people in. So visuals really is huge for us. And there is something that visuals can offer, which audio don't. But the beauty for me with the trailers is that I can then create it more as a visual piece as opposed to just audio. So what does make a good trailer for you? You know, when you're starting off, what are the main elements that you're pulling out from the interview? For me, really, creating a trailer, it all goes back to what we've seen for years and years and years for films in Hollywood all the time. It may seem new to podcasting, mm-hmm. especially the way that we've done it. We, this is something that we're really proud of. We took a concept of promotion and we enhanced it in a way that feels completely new to this industry but the actual concept with creating trailers is nothing new we've just taken it from a different industry that's worked so well for so many years and to bring it here and so part of my job was to almost analyze what is it about movie trailers documentary trailers tv shows what are those elements that we see there that makes us want to go and watch something so for me really it all begins with 
the first moment, which is that hook, especially because the traders going on a social platform, we only really have about three seconds to hook in an audience. And the attention span for people scrolling online is is so tight, it's so difficult. And so really we need to grab something straight away that they can't click off from. So that could be a, a statement, that could be something that's relatable. It can be a famous face, for which luckily with DOAC, we get a lot of fantastic people on that, recognizable people and seeing their faces could sometimes hold it to enough. But yeah, it's really sort of grabbing those people within the first three seconds and then almost having to ensure that the rest of the storyline supports that hook and supports what they're going to get from the episode. So the hook is the first thing. And then we go into our intro card, which is to give the validation to the audience that they're about to listen to someone who knows what they're talking about, that has that story, who's been through that journey, which is particularly important for experts who've released multiple New York Times bestsellers. And they might be people you may not necessarily have heard of, even if you've heard of their books or if you've heard of their work. But that intro is really to sell the guest as who they are and what they can do and what they're about to teach you. And then afterwards, it's all about the story going from A to B. You're following the same narrative structures as you would a film, as a TV show, as a novel. And you want to hit the right markers. You want to hit the emotional pointers for the audience for them to make that decision in the end to want to watch more. And do you, from your research and, you know, looking at all of the trailers that you've already done, do you find that some hooks perform better than others you know if it's like a shock tactic or if it's a a really emotional one or do you kind of have those numbers yeah i mean it's always a tricky thing with a hook because there's no set analysis that you can look at because there's so many different factors that goes into what makes a trailer successful i mean it literally can start from how big the guest is if you've got a huge name there's a possibility that that name will bring in people just from looking at them. And then if you're a fan of that person, you'll be inclined to listen to what they've got to say already. But what I have found with hooks is it's got to relate to the audience in some way, if you can. That's the biggest successful factor in it, is if someone can watch it and have some sort of indication that it could benefit them. And that could be a reaction, whether it's through anger whether it's through happiness, whether it's through sadness. So really, a successful hook is all about relatability factor and that emotion that we want the audience to feel from the offset. If we can achieve that, then usually that's a successful hook. I'm curious, one of the challenges that many podcasters and producers have run into with social clips in particular is tempting listeners or tempting viewers, I should say, from social platforms onto podcast platforms and sort of getting them to change from that short form sort of consumption mode to actual long form podcast listening. Is that something that you're actively trying to do to kind of convert those viewers into podcast listeners? And what do you find that some of the most successful strategies are for for doing that? Yeah, I mean, when I was brought on, the brief was that we want to take someone who potentially has never heard of DOAC before to watch something on Instagram or on LinkedIn or on Twitter and or X, whether it's going to be called next week, <laughs> taken from that social platform onto Spotify or onto YouTube. That's the biggest goal with every trader. And so for me, it's 
it's all about creating something that is well worth the investment that an audience has to put into these days. From going back to what I was saying in terms of like you need to hook them in three seconds, not only that we're asking them to stay with us for potentially another hour and a half to two hours. That's a big investment in today's society mm. with the way things are. And so we need to offer them a promise that if they listen to this episode from start to finish, when they get to the end, that they're going to have to learn something that's going to impact them in some way. Their life is going to have the opportunity to change for the better. So when we have a guest on that's talking about, for example, how to live a better life or how to deal with stress, we want to ensure that the trailer not only describes what the problem is, which is happening in, in today's society, something that, again, that we all relate to, but that the trailer, if you click onto the episode from watching the trailer, I'm going to give you these 10 steps or these five steps or this one golden rule that you can implement today that will change your life for the better. And so that's really what people need to do to try and convince people to go from the short social content to a longer form is to offer them the promise that if you go here, you are going to benefit from it. Don't just go out on a whim. We're not asking you to be nice and or we're not asking you because we just want the support. We're asking you because we think this will add value to your life. So it's about the cliffhanger as well as the hook to get them yes. watching your trailer is then you leave them with a cliffhanger. Yes. So the cliffhanger is something that people love and hate about us. It's, um, <laughs> it's, it's the only way I can describe it, really. The amount of comments that I get from people being really lovely about it, it's like, oh, that cliffhanger was great. It makes me want to go right on and find the answer to why can't you just give me the answer right now? <laughs> but unfortunately, I wouldn't really be doing my job if I gave everything away in, <laughs> in that nine seconds. <laughs> So speaking of that, then, do you have any kind of benchmarks for what a good conversion rate is from people watching the trailer and then going to listen to the episode? Do you have any kind of, is that even something that you're able really to, to track? It's tricky, really, because uh, platforms are adapting to it a lot more. But for example, when you have something like Instagram, Instagram, you can't even post a link mm. on comments or anything like that. So the only thing you can do is type in search for diversity on YouTube, for example. It's a bit different with platforms like, say, LinkedIn, where you can have links. And I'm not an expert in analysis. We obviously have people who do that for us. And you hear there's certain things where putting links on some of your posts can actually damage the post or damage the reach or the algorithm, et cetera, et cetera. And then there's things like putting the link in the comments helps it, but then it's like, oh, but now it damages it. So there's all these sort of elements to it really. But you can sort of over time, and it's this idea of compound, over time you see the line go up and DOAC's been growing and growing and growing. And the one thing I would say is it's not just one thing. And for a podcast like ours, we are trying something new all the time, whether from an analytical stage or from an experiment stage, from a social aspect, from what we put into the episode, what is moved around within like the narrative. So there's so many different things that we're trying with all of this collective goal for it to have an impact. I read through a lot of the comments, for example, and you, you see people saying, I'm going to go onto it now, or you see people who actually come back to the trailer and then speak about 
the topic from what they've heard because they're mentioning quotes or moments that's not in the trailer. So we know it's having that impact there. It's done a great thing with guests. Guests collaborate with the trailer, for example, on Instagram or they'll reshare. And it's getting to a point now where people approach Steve or approach us and talk about the trailers. I got sent a TikTok the other day from some guy, I think in LA or somewhere like that. And he'd done like an analysis of why Doak's so successful and he's gone through the different things. One of them mentioned was like the trailer, for example. And it's amazing because with my background and the way I've sort of learned, I'd never expect anyone to analyze my work or to, <laughs> to put it in sort of any sort of regard. And then now we're getting TikToks made about us and articles written about us and how we're sort of having that impact. So there's so many different things that we're doing. The trailer is just one moment really in that sort of promotion and how we drive it and what we do in the comment section, what we do on the other platforms. So for me, I can't ever put like the direct number on it, but you can sort of see the impact that it's having on the community and on the fans and how it's having an impact in the wider world and how people are noticing it and how articles are sharing it with the trailer, for example, is how I take that from the moment that it is helping it to grow. So you talked about your guests obviously love having their own trailer. Who wouldn't? It's incredibly cool. It's kind of like <laughs> merch, right? You get your own trailer if you come on this podcast. So that must be a kind of a huge drive as well. But do they mm. kind of get any final say over what the trailer is? I'm just thinking if somebody is saying something and then it's sort of edited in a way that's really like, <gasps> and then <gasps> and then this happened and <gasps> and then is there ever any kind of like... I don't know, do they reject that ever or are they quite happy for you to kind of edit their stories as you see fit? We've not yet, no. There's sort of like there is that unwritten rule of trust with us. Yeah. The way I sort of describe it is for an editor for this podcast, for example, but I think this is a case of any editor working in the marketing industry is you need more than just an editor hat on. You need a marketing hat on as well. And mm. you also need like the human hat. And so... As an editor, your job is to make something incredible that people are going to love and want to watch. So that includes all the emotional aspects or the like the actual editing stage. With the marketing hat, that's where you think about what will people achieve from this? What is the end goal that I want people to take away? And obviously, there's more to just this trailer. It needs to lead on to something else. So that's your marketing hat. And then you have the human hat, which is these guests are incredible, you know, and they've got incredible stories. And I'm lucky in a sense that with DOAC, we get those emotional journeys and we have those profound statements or whether they're controversial, whether they're backed by science or whether they're going to cause potential anger or anything like that with the audience. But we, we have the opportunity that we get told that. And a lot of the time, the guests are coming on to tell their story and their story may be dark or may be emotional. So there's sort of that trust that mm. we will tell it in the best light but also knowing that the job is to entice people in. And we can't obviously tell everything that we want to tell in an hour and a half long podcast because we only have 90 seconds max. So our time is very limited that we want to come across in that time. But no, we receive amazing feedback from the guests. And I'm very lucky that quite a few of them have reached out to me personally and messaged me to say that they love it and that they're thankful for doing it. And there was one guest who literally said like she's going to use it as almost like the showreel of her work. So that's now what she's going to use. So she, this is what I do. And that's, you know, they're the amazing compliments for me really is because you want to make sure that you do the guest justice as well as the podcast. 
Mm. I was going to ask you about the the length of time that it takes for you to create your mm-hmm. trailers because obviously you have just an enormous amount of content really that you like you say you have to boil down to maximum 60 90 seconds and you've shared a screenshot before of your editing timeline which is insane so <laughs> that's what, how long does each trailer take you to create especially if you're knocking out two a week on average the trailer will take maybe around about two and a half to three days the reality of it is is we would always want more time to make trailers mm-hmm. When you're an editor or when you work in this sort of industry, you will always want extra time. But we're sort of, because we've got such a tight turnaround, it means that you have to make fast decisions. You have to always be thinking, you have to change, you have to adapt quickly. Mm -hmm. So it varies from guest to guest. Some guests are easier than others. Some structures are more worked out than others. But I'd say on average, maybe like, yeah, two and a half, maybe three days to do everything from start to finish. That's more than some podcasters spend on editing the actual episode. Yeah. The thing is, it's always been a crazy part of it because we've got to the stage where it's almost creating a film trailer. And when you actually then look into how long it takes a film trailer, it's no time at all. So when you speak to other editors, some of them are actually shocked that it doesn't take like weeks to make by the time you have the story structure, the edit, because it's everything from sound design, from text to ratios, to creating a storyline that works, to effects, to everything in between. So when you condense that down, it's a really short amount of time to do everything. And we have a lot of pride in the trailers. And I think that's that's something that people reach out to me to do is how can you create it in a shorter time span? Because we've had people try it before on other podcasts and it's taken them a lot more time to try and get to that level just because really just creating a story can take, can take the longest time. But for us, story and emotion is our USP. That's what we love. Um, that's what we want to tell. So we want to make sure that we spend as much time as we can on, on that narrative. Have you developed any sort of tips and tricks for speeding up the process or any kind of workflow shortcuts that that you can now sort of use to get a bit of a head start on that? Yeah. So, I mean, it's something that we're always experimenting with as streamlined as we can make any process. So it might just be, I've got someone who does certain roles for me now. And so I'm training her to become a trailer editor and the aim will be that she'll eventually take on the whole thing. And so that's helped in in the work process, but there's little things that I'm doing. So for example, transferring, going through the entire segments, reading it as opposed to watching it, that saves a little Mm. bit of time. So I now read through the episodes and the highlights and I'll write a script or, or like a create a storyboard now before I go into the edit. And those little things are elements that we're experimenting with. There's no set rule that I've got yet. And I'm a little bit wired with set rules because sometimes when you have the set process, you can become a little bit complacent. And so Mm. there's something about a little bit about the chaos that keeps you going, that keeps you driving. But we're constantly working on on ways to try and streamline it as much as we can so we can focus on other areas. So yeah, so for example, reading through it was, was a big one for me. Saved me probably about two and a half hours. Wow. 
But I suppose so much of the emotion that comes out of the stuff that you're working with is visual. You know, it is how somebody Mm. tells a story, not necessarily what they're saying. Have you noticed that you might have read something that sounds like it's brilliant and then you go to watch it and actually it doesn't work because the emotion isn't there or the laughter isn't there or, you know, you've read it in a completely different tone? Yeah. When I first started doing it, there was a bit where I read, which I thought was fantastic about what the guest was saying. And it was this whole segment four was amazing, went into the edit and then I found out it was Steve saying it. Um, <laughs> so, <laughs> so, so then I was like, okay, amazing. so now I can't use that. And then so, um, so I mean, Steve done it perfectly. It was, per- it was a perfect way to sum up this whole thing. So then the way I fixed that was we now have, instead of speaker one, speaker two, we've now changed it. So the names go in. So I know mm. who's doing the names. And so, yeah, there has been moments when they're saying things and, there's elements that an editor you'll look out for, for example, how long is a pause? So if they're talking about something that's quite emotional, ideally we'd like a, a bit of a pause there so the audience can take a deep breath and take in everything that they're saying. And then you can't get that from written word because I see the next word is there. So you sort of have to hope or you might have to find a different way of how they've said it. So there's still elements there always will be elements that until you have it physically in front of you you can't see it completely and it's the same with even doing writing out a script you might get on there and it be five minutes long because you don't know how long they take to say this sentence for example Mm -hmm. so yeah there's those elements that you only get when you're into the process but usually it's fine and you sort of become a bit entwined for most of it to know you have a feeling on how they're saying it and if they're talking about an emotional moment you sort of have that trust that is an emotional moment because what Steve's brilliant at is bringing out those emotional moments from the guest and from what I read from how Steve asks a question I can sort of get that sense that okay this is going into that moment or I feel like Steve might have pause a little so the guests can compose themselves for example and you sort of get that sometimes from how the next question is asked it's all these tiny little things so it's that part of the process that's always sort of tweaking do you ever get any tips on you know oh this section would make a really good trailer moment from steve or from jack sylvester the producer of of the podcast do they ever sort of earmark stuff for you that that they think would be good yeah, we have discussions about it and Steve's very much involved in the trailer process. So is Jack. So they'll go through amends or they'll, and then they'll talk about a moment that they remember that would make a great moment. There's been sometimes in, in the actual episode where a guest has said something and then Steve will be like on the podcast that's in the trailer. So then when I hear that, I'm like, okay, <laughs> that's that job done. Um, so, well, you have to do it now. Yeah, Boss yeah, has already said so. Yeah. yeah, it'll be even worse if it's not in the trailer, but it's in the episode as <laughs> being in the trailer. Um, but yeah, Steve's very hands-on with it. You know, he gives his input for it. And then in those amends stages as well, that's where I get a feel of if there's other elements that he wants to bring in or, and that's like a discussion that we have during that stage. You had recently taken on a new editor that you're training somebody up Mm. as part of your team. What do you look for in an editor? Because obviously so many podcasters do edit their own stuff and, you know, they might be presenter first, editor second, they might be self-taught. What do you kind of prioritize if you're looking at somebody else's work? Yeah, I mean, I got really lucky with Liv, who we brought on because she was part of Team Dark before I was. So she started by doing the clips, Mm -hmm. like the other reels that will go out. 
And I got lucky with her because you could see a sense that she had this idea of how to tell a story. And that's because the clips follow in the same suit, really. We want the beginning, middle and an end. Mm. Just to pick up on that quickly, mm. how do you see the the difference between trailers and clips? Because I think most people would look at them you know, if not interchangeably, then certainly very, very sort of closely related. Do you guys draw a notable distinction between them? Yeah. So a clip really is a moment from the podcast. So the way I describe it is, yeah, it's like, it's a segment from that episode that's got an A, B and a C journey to it. And it serves its purpose as this is what I want you to take away from this clip, from this particular moment. The trailer, in a sense, is uh, a culmination of all of those sort of moments mixed in together to create a narrative journey. With a trailer, you almost cover quite a few different angles, whereas a clip will just focus on one. So an example would be, say, Davina. Her trailer would cover her career. It would cover her emotional journey with her sister and the passing away of her sister. It will cover her upbringing with her mum and how that sort of shaped her to become the person who she is today. It will cover her life lessons and how she looks at it. So it's covering all those different angles. In terms of a Mm. clip for Davina, you'd probably maybe focus on, say, the life lesson that she had. And that would be in its entirety a 90 second or however long the clip is, just focusing on that one moment, whereas the trailer is almost like everything you can cover from the episode to try and put in there. And am I right in thinking that the clips aren't intended to drive people specifically to the podcast in the same way that the trailers are? Yeah. I mean, everything we do, we want it to go towards the episode. The clips have different goals. The trailer is main goal is to go on to which is why it's released at the same time as the episode is go and watch us now the clips are what we can use from time and time again for guests that have been on like a year ago for example and part of it is to get them back onto the episode if they've watched a clip that they liked about jimmy carr which was released almost like two years ago now we'll release a clip from that and then if they liked it they're more likely to go on to youtube or spotify to find the episode but Mm. it's also self-contained lessons in those clips so you can hear that and it might relate to something to you in that moment in time or it might be a strong lesson or a bit of advice that you can take and action on it as well right so they're much more reusable assets yeah yeah essentially yeah Going back to who I look for, so I got lucky with Liv because she had that element of telling a story and that's something that we're training her up with now. And whenever we're looking for someone, because we're always looking at for people who to show us what they can do, whether it comes in as a freelance or whether we, we're hiring someone else in. And essentially it's just how you can tell a story and how you can keep me engaged for 90 seconds. That's, that's the main thing for a trailer, really. I got lucky with my background before this i was working on film franchises uh, on social assets for that so i really sort of built how to create a narrative from those and that also taught me from the marketing head of that how do we sell this marvel film to these people etc etc and so i had that background but not everyone's got that but for me the biggest thing i look for is that storytelling ability if you can get me emotionally invested in your work as opposed to just clip, 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 
then I know you have that potential to work on these trailers because that is what drives us. In terms of the sort of future of the DOAC trailer team, Mm. obviously it's now no longer just yourself, but what are the plans to grow and expand it in the future? What does the roadmap look like for the future of trailers at Diaryba CEO? The biggest goal really is to just keep pushing how far we can make them and to keep finding that 1%. We don't want to settle for anything less. You know, every trailer presents an opportunity to do something that we've never done before and presents an opportunity to engage with the audience in ways that 20 trailers ago we didn't achieve. And so that's our biggest goal. How that sort of looks like in terms of how many numbers we bring in or, or, or how many people we bring on. And that's sort of like a subside part of it we focus more on the process and the end goal and then we sort of see where we need to accommodate that obviously my my aim is to firstly train live to a position where she can work on trailers completely that would be amazing and i love teaching and i love like giving advice and it's something that i'm learning at the moment because i was never taught this i i had to make it all up as i went along and so it's it's a quite a daunting experience trying to teach someone where you feel like you was never taught it and suddenly you're trying to pass on lessons that you're created but i'd love to train more and have a small team and look at more about overseeing and in the meantime sort of think of new ways we can up the ante and up the promotional side of the podcast as a whole you were talking earlier about steve the way that he likes to be really like hands-on and very involved with like the whole process. Have you kind of picked up Mm. anything from his way of working? I mean, there are so many life lessons that come across in all of DOAC. That's part of the podcast, right? Is there anything that you've absorbed over the past year and a bit? I mean, from Steve, the biggest lesson I've learned is you should never just settle for okay. Mm. Steve is a perfectionist and he wants to create the best that he possibly can. And that's what we all want to do. That's why we sort of have this foul fast culture. So that's sort of the thing I've learned from there is that keep pushing yourself, keep going towards that achievement. And with the aim that it's all about that climb, I was just about to quote a Miley Cyrus song there. I believe I was about to do that. <laughs> do it. <laughs> Nothing wrong with a bit of Miley. Is this, this is the musical interlude part of the, of the podcast. <laughs> but, but yeah, so with him, it's this idea of just, just never give up, just keep going. Mm. If you fail, you pick yourself up and you go again. And you strive to be the best you can be and strive to create the best you can and with the idea that the rewards will come his work ethic is beyond incredible you know you think you meet people who have a strong work ethic or who never give up he he really does you know he's so passionate about everything he does and even the companies that he invests in and the the other companies that he's part on he's so invested in them and he's very passionate about them and then from the guests, re- weirdly enough, from the guests, it's more from personal aspects, you know, things like fitness, sleep. They're the ones which I guess is sort of like what the podcast is, is we want is those real life issues coming in. So, you know, I would hear something from, I think it was, might have been P- Peter Atia who said something about just going from zero to 90 minutes of exercise a week 
means you're like 25% less chance of dying in the following year or something like that. He says like these incredible stats about when you turn 65 and you fall over and you break a hip, chances of you dying next year are like tenfold or something like that. Jesus. And then he uses that to essentially say, this is why you need to do this, this is why you need to do this, Mm -hmm. you need to do that. And not only is it great from a trader perspective, but for me, I learn a lot in those moments. So I've learned about the importance of fitness and eating healthier and trying to get a better night's sleep. That's easier said than done. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but, you know, that they're the things I've taken away from the guests, really, which is great because that's what we want the viewers to take away from it as well. Mm-hmm. Mm. On that subject, have there been any guests or any episodes or any moments, in fact, that you were surprised by in terms of how well they performed as trailers? Were there any that you thought were going to be really big hitters that maybe didn't get the response you're hoping for, or any that you kind of were not 100% sure on, but ended up really, really hitting? My biggest surprise guess was Chris Kamara, he was a commentator for Soccer Saturday and I don't know Jeff mm. that. And um, <laughs> I, he was one of those where I grew up watching him and I, I loved him. He was like this massive ball of energy mm. and then he sort of disappeared for a while and you sort of forget, don't you? You move on with your life and there's other commentators. And then he came onto the podcast and he dived into basically for the first time about like Uh, like this illness and disease that he's got, which is affecting his speech and um, how he's had to quit doing this and how he felt he's not worth it. And even making a trailer, I was sort of welling up from it Mm. because this was someone who I admired for a long time and someone who was like part of your life. But the result from that episode was incredible. And the response from the trailer was amazing to the extent where the clubs that he played at, they were holding up banners in the stadium from the episode saying how they support him and things like that. So that was my biggest surprise one. And that was Mm. one of those, him and a newer guest called Lauren Wesser, who's known as the girl with the golden legs. She got toxic shock syndrome from a tampon. Mm. And her story is, I mean, it's unbelievable in terms of like emotion and what she went through, but then how she's come out from the other side and what she's done. And, the response from that has been incredible from the comments and from the shares and people sending us messages saying, I've never heard about this. Thank you for it. So that's when you see the real world impact mm-hmm. that the trailers and the episodes are having on people. And that's where it's really special. The, one, the biggest surprise one that I didn't think would do as well, but became enormous was um, Tim Spector. And when I analyze it, I sort of understand why now, because his opening remark is something where Steve says, so exercise doesn't work. And he just says, no. And it (laughs) kicked off. It really kicked off. And and (laughs) so we got a a lot of angry people, a lot of support from people. And I think on Instagram, I think he got like 5 million or something like that, just on the Instagram one and that blew up. So that was a huge surprise for me because I, I some of these guests I'd never heard of and I'll listen to them and be like, oh, okay, this is interesting. I didn't know this stuff. And then like the impact that it's had on people is incredible. So he was, he was my most surprising one. What's one of your favorites that you've ever edited then in terms of trailers and guests? 
Uh, Lauren Wasser is a particular favourite. That is an excellent one. Oh, thank you. That was, um, it gave me the opportunity to, you, you, you feel like you have an opportunity to do something that's a lot bigger than a trailer, if that makes mm-hmm. sense. You have an opportunity yeah. to raise awareness, which is an incredible thing, really. And you're sort of put in this sort of weird ethical situation of how much do you dramatize it? How much do you make it like a film to how much this is real life and you want to take the lessons away? So you have to sort of have these discussions with your own self and just how far can you push it without ruining the moment or making it seem like Armageddon and keeping it as this real life story. So it created a lot of challenges, but it also gave me an opportunity to test out a few different genres from trailers that I love and styles. And the response from it was incredible. And it was such an emotional trailer to make. Even when we was watching it back, we'd have like lumps in our throats from it and mm. stuff like that. So hers is probably the latest one. And I guess probably maybe Chris Kamara, Gary V was a huge one, Terry Crews. Mm. And then there was one called Tim Grover, I believe. And he was the guy who trained Michael Jordan, Kobe Bryant and things like that. And I always remember that one because that was the first time I felt like things switched from a trailer perspective and everything that I wanted to put into a trailer really went in and like we're, we're starting to see more and more comments from that moment saying, this is like a Netflix movie. This is like this, this is mm-hmm. like a full on movie trailer. And then we sort of, because of the way he presented himself and the way he said things that just sort of everything just clicked for that one. So that will always have like a special place in my heart because that was almost like, okay, let's, let's see where we can take this now. I love that. That's a great note to end on. Anne Smith, thank you so much for joining us. What a pleasure it's been to talk to you. Thank you for having me. So that was Ant Smith. Really loved delving into this whole new area that I'd never even considered in the world of podcasting. And it is incredible the amount that it works for Diary of a CEO, but actually the amount of time and money that they put into making these trailers, how viable do you think it is for homegrown podcasters or podcasts who just don't have that time or money? So he said that he spends two and a half to three days to edit one podcast trailer. It's insane the amount of work that he does, but that's his job. It's just purely dedicated to creating podcast trailers. And unfortunately for a lot of independent podcasters who are doing like six other jobs, including social media manager, marketing, presenter, editor, producer, I don't think they have time to dedicate their entire you know work schedule towards creating a trailer for each and every episode that they're doing Mm. so I don't think that's very viable for them but I do think that there's other ways that they can promote Mm -hmm. the show that maybe might not reach the extent of Diary of a CEO trailers but they could promote it with social media clips putting out like an episode description or putting highlights out there like we do key takeaways and highlights for every single episode and I think that's that's a way that you can kind of promote your show without putting in the same effort as mm-hmm. Ant Smith. Not everyone could be Ant Smith. Not everyone could be Ant Smith. <laughs> however hard we try. Um, and what about like picking out these specific narratives as well? Because obviously they talk for ninety minutes, two hours. Mm. How do you, how successful do you think that these trailers are in picking out a good enough hook that makes people want to watch? Well, I think that they do actually really quite well in identifying what is going to be the key takeaway for this. And one of the interesting approaches for me that Ant described was looking for the like one golden rule or the, you know, 10 steps that you can do to 
you know, do whatever it is, whether it's, you know, sleep better or get fitter or succeed in business or, you know, whatever, whatever that guest is a specialist in. Mm. And that's something that I think particularly a lot of interview podcasts can kind of translate to their own shows relatively easily. But I think the kind of focus on narrative and storytelling within the trailers themselves Mm -hmm. is another thing that is really important, but also quite straightforward to apply to a bunch of different promo tactics, whether that's, you know, video or audio trailers, or whether that's just kind of social posts promoting the show or a newsletter that it appears in having that focus on storytelling within your promotion, I think is, is very powerful Mm. when done right. Mm -hmm. Yes, that's absolutely true. Well, thank you so much to Adam and Reem for joining me this week. Thank you so much for listening, all of you. And of course, thank you hugely to Ant Smith for telling us all about podcast trailers. You can find out so much more on podpod.com. Sign up to our daily email bulletins and do follow us on social at podpodofficial. Send us your trailers. We would love to see them. If you do have your own trailers, please, please, please make sure that they get before us. Thank you so much to Emma Corsham for always producing so beautifully and diligently. This is a podcast for Haymarket Business Media and I'm your host, Rihanna Dillon. We'll be back next week. Bye.